Welcome to your Locked On Big Ten Football Podcast. I'm Keon Rose. Dave Hooker and Chris Landry will be back Monday. Today we'll have some team previews for you, specifically Michigan and Penn State, as well as an interview with Austin Ward of Letterman Row to talk about that interesting trademark that Ohio State is trying to file. But first, here's Chris Landry and Dave Hooker with a preview of Michigan football. It's time for a preview of Michigan. What do you think of the Wolverines? Uh, an awful lot. Um, I think they're really good. How good? How much better? Storylines at Michigan, there are a lot of storylines in college football, Dave. I, I've said this several times on this show. I, I don't know that any tickles my fancy more than Michigan. How good will they be? Roster-wise, I think other than Ohio State, they've got um, a better roster than overall than anybody on their schedule. Um, what is that going to mean for their season? I don't know. Got Ohio State at home. Got Shea Patterson. Uh, I just specifically am just intrigued by the offense and the changes. Uh, I mean, the spread concepts, what they did in the spring, um, and really drilling down into that and looking at that and studying it. I mean, you know, you're talking about the team that was the slowest in the Big Ten and the ninth slowest in college football, slowest in getting plays off. 30 seconds per play. Huddles, that's what they do. Now they're going to go no huddle spread. I, I just, I can't wait to watch that. And, and I, I don't know if it's going to be a good watch, if it's going to be, um, you know, something that, that, that Jim Harbaugh is going to embrace. Maybe it's a little bit of subterfuge of what they truly want to do. You know, I always am concerned when they just completely, when you want to make the changes and you want to change the identity. In other words, tend, people tend to overreact on things. I think that there is no question they've got to improve that passing game. They haven't been very good. They've not had a bell call back. The offensive line's had some talent, but but collectively not have played as well as they, Michigan's offensive line historically have played. But I think they've got some talent there, like Runyon and Bredesen and Ruiz and Owen O and Stuber. This should be a good offensive line. Should be able to run the football. Uh, you know, again, uh, a feature back. You talk about the great backs in the Big Ten. You know, Michigan guys are not the uh, you know not high on my list. I think uh, you know that has been a big question mark. Defensively, they're replacing a lot of guys. I like the way they play on defense, but it's the offense that's the most intriguing. And what are they going to do? I like the receivers. I like Shea Patterson. So I'm very curious to see how this offense looks and how sustainable it is, how volatile Jim will be. And I'm not talking sideline volatility, but volatile in terms of maybe wanting to make drastic changes or not, depending upon um, how this plays out. Look, they, they were an issue. Big plays were an issue for Michigan last year. Um, they, they were an efficient team, but they just didn't – they don't make a lot of plays. So it's going to be interesting to see how this offense plays out. I, I look and see that Shea Patterson has the type of arm talent to kind of change the dynamic of this passing game. But, again, if you run a no-huddle, you're quick in the tempo, 
all of a sudden the defense won't be the same. You've heard me preach that for time and time again. Your offense affects your defense. Your defense affects your offense. They both affect the, the special teams unit, the kicking game overall. It's it's a it's called complementary football. Um, but you know you you can't um, completely change without having some different dynamics of how you play. So how much are they going to embrace this offense? I don't know. Uh, they have the personnel to do some things to spread people out and throw the football. You know, will they do that and take high percentage passes, run the football? I think if they do that, they can be dynamic and take that next level. I think if they go really up-tempo, then I think it's going to be hit and miss, and I think it could be a little bit of an upheaval there. So I, you know, I think this, I I know Jim Harbaugh enough to know that heart in his heart, he wants to grind it out. He wants to be that physical type football team. They've done a good job in recruiting on offense. So we'll see what, what plays out defensively. I think it's one of the, the tough. I mean, if we were talking about, and we have talked about like Northwestern and how tough and how physical and they are, if you, if you, if you looked at Michigan's defense, you'd say the same thing, just with more talent. They've had a number of guys who are replacing a lot of guys. Um, they just wear you out. I mean, you've got to be really athletic and attack them. And if you've got really good athletes, you can beat that defense, which is why Florida and why Ohio State at the end of the year, going in reverse, pull game back to they tore them Michigan's defense apart. That defense that dominated, well, they didn't see the type of speed week in and week out that they saw against Ohio State or against Florida. And that's what really killed them because when you put them in the box, uh, they can play as well as anybody in the country. So Ohio State's had their number because they've just got more athletes than Michigan overall. Michigan's good. Ohio State's on a different level. So I think this Michigan team's going to have a really good year. I don't know how many games they're going to win. I think they start off very well, obviously, and win their first two. Then they go to Wisconsin. Then you got Rutgers, Iowa. So that 21st and 28th and October 5th, at Wisconsin and Iowa at home are going to be challenges. You win those games, then they probably go into the Penn State game unbeaten. I think they, you know, at Penn State and Notre Dame's a, a, an interesting two-week stretch in the middle and the latter part of October. Uh, at Michigan State, they get it home. I think there's every reason to think that there's a good chance this team's unbeaten going into the November 30th game against Ohio State. I think the momentum and the hype will be big if that happens like it was last year. How will they handle it? Will they be unbeaten going into Ohio State? How will they handle it if they are? Um, will they have a loss? Could they dump a game uh, at Penn State or Michigan State at home or Iowa at home? Or I, I think there's, from a roster standpoint, they have a really good chance of being unbeaten going into that uh, Ohio State game. And then there's going to be a whole lot of pressure for Michigan to win that game at home and potentially would send them to the Big Ten championship game. And if they are unbeaten, it absolutely puts them in the playoff race. So it's going to be interesting to see. That's the expectation level, Dave, that, hey, they can maybe make a playoff run. Not quite sure they're there yet. But if they take care of business leading into the Buckeyes coming into Ann Arbor, then that game will, will put them in a position because I do like their chances from a personnel standpoint against uh, the best team in the West, whoever that turns out to be. So that was your preview of Michigan football. Next, Chris and Dave will break down Nittany Lions football for the 2019 season.
March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. You are Locked On Big Ten Football. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome back. It is your Locked On Big Ten Football Podcast podcast penn state the next team up that uh chris will offer a season preview of so chris what do you think of the nittany lions well i I think this is going to be a transition year this is a team that um has been had good on the field leadership with tracy mcsorley he's now with the ravens backing up lamar jackson that's a that's a big void and of course and um tommy stevens left so it's Sean Clifford's offense to kind of run and, you know, from the quarterback position at least. And they're replacing a lot of guys. I've talked a lot about a guy like K.J. Hamler that I think can be a real big-time playmaker. He's small, you know, Smurf there and Ricky Slade, uh, you know, and uh, they they've, they've definitely have some talent. Love their tight end. James Franklin, like his energy, um, we talked about, about, gosh, about a month ago, we've, we've documented it all the way through for those of you who followed us on a day in day out basis. We, we took you through the, the, the courses of Penn state losing commitments, losing commitments. They picked that up. They've, they've gotten a little better. He's a good recruiter. If James Franklin's not recruiting off the charts, then, uh, then you're not getting your money's worth because that's what he is. He's not a great X's and O guy. It's not a, that's not what his strength is. He's only as good as his assistants. I think they've lost a little bit of their edge on offense when Joe Moore had left to go to Mississippi State. I think Brent probably does a good job running the defense. Like this linebackers, I think it's the best linebacking core in terms of a returning unit experience-wise in the Big Ten. I think um, Gross Mattis is a really good edge rusher. Um, Look, I mean, it's uh, I, I think the program is in pretty good shape. I don't know that they're ever going to have a big game edge with James Franklin on the sidelines, but they're very capable of winning games from a talent standpoint. They're very good. They're, they're not Ohio State good. They can match Michigan in terms of talent. Uh, not Ohio State yet, um, but they're really, really good. I look at them and say they've got a lot of speed. Uh, it's the best that they've looked since the sanctions in 2012 speed-wise. I love their depth at running back. I love their depth at receiver. Uh, I think they've got good pass rushers, and I think their defensive back is pretty good. This is a talented team, and and I think if they had a, a great coach with this talent, man, I, you know, this is a team that's capable of winning the Big Ten. I, I don't, I mean, it really can challenge Ohio State. Um, but, you know, they are so reliant upon maybe having that special type of player like McSorley. We'll see. Replacing him is going to be key. They've got eight freshmen and sophomores um, that are going to start on offense. So this is going to be an issue. I always look at special teams, coverage units, return units. 
those are really significant in terms of coaching. They've been very poor on special teams. They, they, that kind of hurts them and costs them a little bit of an edge. So, look, I like their, their skill, like their speed. They make way too many mistakes um, on the sidelines and in their preparation, their adjustments. So, again, like the program, like the talent level, like the fact that they've changed it, um, you know, I, I, I don't know the edge. And I will say this. You hear this a lot. I think James Franklin is the ultimate salesman. He, if you remember when a couple of years ago, when it was pretty obvious that A&M was going to have a coaching change. Well, I can tell you from the inside that Scott Woodard and Jimbo Fisher, that was going to happen. You know, that, that was, that was happening. That was it. There was one candidate and that was the guy and that was it. It was floated out there by James Franklin through his agent. James Franklin's a guy going to leave Penn State for, you know, that's, that's who A&M's, one of the guys they're going to target. No truth to that. That's the, 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 the lies that agents tell you to kind of promote their coach. Cause I think no, James, agent, it, agents don't lock. Really. Now, o- only when their lips are moving. Um, <laughs> I, 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 that was, that was a big part of, I think James, and I'm saying this, everybody says urban Meyer, urban Meyer, urban Meyer going to USC. The guy that's going to angle for that job behind the scenes is James Franklin. Got ties to the West Coast. He would love to be able to sell himself to Lin Swan and the USC folks. And, you know, he might be willing to do it. And why would he do it? I I think he knows that at some point, as good a job as he's doing, I think they're starting to get a little frustrated with James. He tends to be a little bit too, a little bit too kind of uh, fire brimstone. As they say uh, in Texas, what, uh, all hat, no cattle, or more sizzle than steak, that's James Franklin. Don't Johnny mean to take Major's, a shot at Johnny Major's favorite saying was, uh, he's like a hat without a cowboy. Well, there you go. There you go, Johnny. Get <laughs> pulling old Johnny Major's out of there. So, I, listen, I, I, I think he would love to parlay the success to get another job in an extension because I don't know where this is headed with Penn State. I mean – a couple of good years, he could, if anything else, he will use. All coaches do this. I get it. Saban's Jimmy Sexton did it with Texas to get more out of Alabama. But, you know, James lives for that because he knows that he's got to convince folks in the media. He's always wanting to convince folks in the media that he's better than he is. And you see, Texas A&M wanted me. And I think that you're going to hear a lot about, hey, Franklin, USC, that's going to be. I don't know if there's going to be any legitimacy to it, but it's going to come from the from the Franklin side, and maybe they can convince him to be interested. But I think he's kind of ready to make his next move before the posse comes in and says, "You know what? We need to make a next move." And you know what? We're going to go and get Matt Rule from Baylor and get one of our Penn State guys. Thank you for recruiting a great, you know, cupboard, but we're going to go get a better coach. I, don't be surprised with that. And again, don't take it as any disrespect to James. Coaches have their strength. They have their weaknesses. That's what I see with Penn State. Good season. I expect them to have a really good season. Um, where do they go in terms of a record? Going to be real interesting to see. Um, I look at their roster. I think that they've got as much talent as Michigan and more talent than everybody else other than Ohio State. 
Okay, we'll figure out where the record is at the end of the year. At Ohio State's probably a loss. Michigan at home, toss up. We'll see what their record is. I mean, talent wise, they're ten and two, eleven and one. Let the chips fall where they may. That was your preview of Penn State football. Up next, we have an interesting interview with Austin Ward of Letterman Row, where he covers Ohio State football. Dave and I talked to him about the trademark that I'm sure you've heard about by now, but if you haven't, here's Austin Ward to fill you in. You are locked on Big Ten football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Uh, Austin Ward, join us now with Letterman Row. Again, you need to check out that site. Again, lettermanrow.com. they got a lot of former players uh, contributing, so you'll enjoy it. Austin Ward, how are you, sir, with uh, Letterman Row? How's it going, man? Fantastic, Dave. Thanks for having me back. Well, I, I appreciate you doing it, I, but I've got a busy day because I've got to go through and I've got to redo all my rejoins and intros that say <laughs> the Dave Hooker Show. Because the the is officially off the board now, right? I don't not sure that's how the trademark is going to work. Unless you were <laughs> looking to sell T-shirts for your show that just said the and assumed that people would finish that thought with Dave Hooker, but uh, it's it certainly made. I've been getting that question a lot because they Ohio State has again made themselves a bit of a a punchline for something that is not. You know, maybe they didn't think through the PR fallout of that, but it's not the move is not really that controversial in my mind because it's they're trying to sell stuff that is already widely assumed that you hear Sunday night football or Monday night football with the Ohio State University. You can go to any T-shirt shop in Columbus and you see people that just write the in scarlet and gray, and they make a bunch of money off of it. In Ohio State, I understand why they don't want to lose out on all that money. Can they win that though? Because Butch Please was one at Tennessee <laughs> that really took off, and really Tennessee could could never really get a handle on it. Can can they take the back from the masses? Uh, probably not. I mean, there's so many off the top of my head. I don't know exactly who else would be readily identifiable with that, but it is the most common word in the English language. <laughs> so I have to assume that there are other programs or teams or something somewhere where. Uh, T-H-E is going to apply. You know, I don't I don't know that there's a downside to them other than a little bit of the social media jokes of the last couple of days to at least try to get that. Uh, but, you know, and that's sort of par for the course for a big company that you have to remember that it, Ohio State is uh, in protecting their financial interest, interest in its big business every year uh, with, with all the merchandise and everything else that they sell. So I guess it was worth the effort for them in their mind to try and protect that money but i certainly understand why it's also been made fun of across the country <laughs> I, I read a tweet that you had and I, I it was basically leading to the same thing that i had been told and that was that uh, there were questions about tate martell at ohio mm-hmm. state he goes to miami he doesn't uh, win the starting job there which was his to lose and it just appears like, as I was told by somebody fairly close to the situation, he likes uh, being like a quarterback more than being a quarterback. In other words, all the things that come with it, like Instagram models. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But, um, yeah. yeah, it just, I don't know that he's 100% all in. Is that fair to say? I mean, that definitely wasn't 
the case when he was in Columbus. I can't speak to what he's been like down in Miami, but we're talking about somebody. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that he had skipped practice as soon as he wasn't the starter because that basically same thing happened last year, and that was competing against Dwayne Haskins, who finished third in the Heisman Trophy race. He was never, ever going to beat him out, and it was, I think, three or four days into training camp last August, and he was threatening to transfer. I mean, that's just been the par for his whole career was you can decommit and commit as many times as you want. That's fine. But there is a, a, there does become a trend that he did it three times in high school. He wanted to transfer or talked about transferring almost from the moment that he stepped on campus at Ohio state, which is a place that he talked about always dreaming of wanting to play. And that uh, last year before the Rose bowl, he was a hundred percent committed to staying and competing. And then three days later he leaves when Justin Fields arrives on campus I don't know what's going to happen with Tate Martell in Miami, but the quarterback that I've seen does not have the passing ability. Uh, he, he can't really make up for it with knowledge of a playbook or system that didn't ever really connect for him in Ohio State. And going five or six months at Miami, it must not have as well if two other guys were able to, to hold him off in camp. Uh, you know, none of this really surprises me. You talked about the celebrity part of it. He's had that since he was an eighth grader. And I'm sure that I wouldn't be completely normal and uh, not you know, trying to make the most out of that publicity if I was in his boat. But at some point you have to prove it on the field, and he's never done that. And I'm not really sure that it'll translate to a top 25 type program at any point in the near future, even though he's still relatively young in his career. Justin Fields is going to win this job, even though he hasn't done so yet publicly, right? Yes, that is going to happen. Okay. Why? It'll be announced on Monday. I just... <laughs> <laughs> You've got it uh, carved down to Monday? Is that the case? Yeah, it'll, that'll happen uh, on Monday. There will be a press conference. I imagine that shortly after it's over, Justin Fields will come into the team room to talk to the assembled media here in Columbus. There's just... There's no question about it. I understand the approach that Ryan Day has taken to not uh, you know, award him anything. As soon as he steps on campus, he made him compete in the spring against Matthew Baldwin. Well, Matthew Baldwin's not here either. He transferred. Uh, Tate Martell had already transferred, obviously. They brought in Gunnar Hoke, who was uh, essentially the backup at Kentucky. That guy was never going to beat him out. There are a few players in the country who have Justin Fields' ability Anyway, I mean, you remember anybody who follows recruiting, it was Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence stating, uh, competing a few years back at the Elite 11, and Justin Fields got the better of that battle. That's, that's the kind of caliber quarterback that we're talking about right here. So there was never any real doubt about who was going to be the quarterback, but Ryan Day wanted to make sure that there was some pressure on him to perform and go earn it. And he's continued that in now through two weeks of training camp, but that for people that think it's a charade, for people who believe that it was a legit competition, whatever whatever you think, it's going to be over in three or four days, and, and then people can start talking about him replacing Dwayne Haskins and then potentially leading Ohio State to another Big Ten title. Austin, uh, Justin Fields was, was not that far from here in Georgia, and I feel like I still didn't get yeah. to see very much from him. What is it about Justin Fields that's the most exciting? I think for Ohio State, and the, what I've seen from him is that he's kind of a, a mashup of all of the quarterbacks that were 
with the Buckeyes during the Urban Meyer era. He's he's not as great of a passer as Dwayne Haskins, and, and not many people are, but he has great arm strength, and he's got pretty good accuracy. He's He's got the size and the running ability. He's not as fast as Braxton Miller was, maybe, but he's got the same sort of 4.4 speed and elusiveness. He's maybe not as stout as JT Barrett, but he's got the same ability to run between the tackles. So this is a guy who can do just about everything that you could ask for in today's college football. So that's part of the reason that if you look at, no matter who had been on the depth chart last year, but especially because it was Tate Martell, it made no sense for any school not to be doing anything they could to get Justin Fields on their roster. Now Clemson might be the one exception there because they already had the guy who was right there, number one and, and number one A in that recruiting class. And we already obviously know what he can do. But for anybody else in the country, and especially a team like Ohio State that that initially, you know, going into last year, thought that they were going to have Dwayne Haskins for two years, and that didn't work out because he because he played so well. You know, they had to kind of go to the back to the board, and, and everything kind of fell in line. Ohio State didn't really recruit Justin Fields the first time coming out. They had they were working on Emory Jones, I believe it was the class there. They had his commitment all the way up until November or December. So they weren't involved that heavily with him, but everything kind of worked out for both of them, and it, it really does seem like a perfect fit. Going back to, and we got about 30 seconds left, visiting with Austin Ward of Letterman Row. Where did the the start from was it jim trestle or was it monday night football or where did that start from boy uh, i'll have to work on an oral history on that i <laughs> i i don't specifically know i think just it's it's been on the sign for the ohio state university when you drive into campus for as long as anyone around here can really remember I, it's it's just part of going to school in columbus that's part of their tradition and it's always been always been etched in stone that that's just sort of the full name of the school good deal uh austin we'll talk to you soon people can check out letterman row you do a fantastic job a lot of contributors uh if anybody's in the big 10 or ohio state especially they need to check it out I appreciate it man that's it for your locked on big 10 podcast dave hooker and chris landry will be back monday i'm keon rose holding it down for today make sure you subscribe rate and comment on itunes spotify stitcher or wherever you get your podcast and have a great weekend